Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm the Gnarly Gnome. This is Scentsy Brewcast. It's the voice of Scentsy Craft. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have a show without any technical difficulties because I think the last like three episodes, there's been something weird going on <laughs> or I've messed something up or God knows. And um, Although I guess we weren't really free from it already setting up. Um, uh behind the scenes a little bit this will be the first episode of Cincy Brewcast that will eventually have video content um and and I was going to do two different camera angles and of course got here and one of the cameras I didn't have the cord to plug it in and all kinds of so I guess we're not free from technical difficulties already it happens, <laughs> it happens on the big job seems right? to seems to happen all the time with the Brewcast it's part of it's part of the charm of the show I guess uh Andy Welcome back to the show. It's, hey. it's been, I mean, it, it's not, it hasn't been a while because well, uh, you were on Big Sis, but it's been a while since we've been down here to do a show. Well, and I don't even know if you'd call me being on Big Sis. You were on. You were you were failing miserably yeah. at trivia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I answered Rivertown. <laughs> Dude, that, tick t- that, that timer makes it. Puts the pressure on. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, go back uh, what, like two two episodes ago, three episodes ago, um, and uh, listen to the Big Sis episode, which was live down at Braxton for the Big Sis release. And we uh, we did a trivia game, and it was evidently way harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's kind of kind of the way things were. It, it was difficult. Either way, welcome back to the show. Thank it's you. always good to get down here and uh, uh, and and dive into what you've been working on. Um, are you one of, if not the most underrated brewery in the city? And maybe, maybe you can't I, say that, but <laughs> I mean, I don't like, I, I don't know. I, I just do we're you, off the beaten path. Do you feel underrated, or, or uh, like you don't get the the due that you maybe you do you deserve? I, I think it's because of where we're, our location. I mean, you know, we're a little further out than than a lot of the breweries. You it's know, true, and I, I understand that. Um, I do hope that people feel <laughs> like we're underrated or, or, you know, enjoy our beer, I guess is kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to say. But, you know, I, 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 I don't have it in me to say we're underrated right. because I, I feel like everybody who comes here for the most part enjoys our beers, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a good way to put it too. Cause it's not like when you hear people talking about your brewery that they are uh they're giving you shit when you don't deserve it i guess that would kind of be maybe underrated as far as by definition maybe under uh under appreciated uh, under, under uh, misunderstood maybe i, I don't I know don't know because I, 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 even that i don't think people misunderstand what this place is once they come here but um it is i, I think so we're at alexandria i don't know if i said that alexandria brewing company alexandria kentucky it sounds like it's a really far distance away from the city but it's not it's 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 what 15 miles or so from uh from downtown yeah i think that's about i think it's like 13 and a half you're you're right that's dean he's (laughs) helping me out a lot and we're um we're installing new tanks and I was expecting them a little later, but that's all right. No I worries. think we're getting a later start too than than I anticipated. Yeah. But it's the way it works with the show. That is, <laughs> it's all right. Um, yeah. So what? Thirteen, fifteen miles, something like that, from Fountain Square. Uh, if you know where NKU is, we're literally five miles down the road from NKU. The the issue is is lights. So if you catch all the green lights, you'll make it here from NKU in, in about five minutes. Right. If you don't, and you catch all the reds. 
it's a 20, 25 minute drive and, and it feels a lot longer than it, that's, it, than it really is. And I, I think just there's, there's something in people's head that, uh, uh, if it's not, if it's not a very close drive for them, they, they, they feel like it's the other end of the universe. I mean, we've talked about that a lot with, sorry, uh, we've talked about it a lot with like just the east side, west side thing that happens here yeah. in Cincinnati that people think that if they live on the east side, then the, the west side is just the other end of the universe and they won't go there and vice versa. And um, I think that happens sometimes with, uh, with with you guys versus other breweries. And I don't, I don't think it's yeah. fair. And it, it is what it is. I mean, sure. I mean, we're we're in an area. We, we chose this area for a very good reason. It, it's a growing area. And I think eventually we'll hit you know what we want to hit but at the same time you know it 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 does kind of feel i mean especially when you talk about um like bigger media coverage it it does feel like we don't we kind of get the bad end of the stick with that just because we're i i'd lump you guys in with kind of with sons of toil uh, that i think that maybe they don't get the uh the recognition that they deserve sometimes because how far out they are. Yeah, I think they're a <laughs> they're, lot far they're, they're further a lot, than we are. They are know? a lot further than than you guys are, uh, especially distance wise. But just you know, I, even if you catch all the lights coming down here, it's nothing compared to catching yeah, all like, of that trying to get from uh, down thirty two out of Eastgate trying to get out to Sun's Toil. Yeah, especially if you're coming from two seventy five, you get all that traffic right oh, at yeah. the beginning of thirty two, and then then you hit the country, and that just feels like a long time, even though it's not that long of a drive. You know, it just it feels. I, I don't know. But in the same way, I think when you go to both uh, Alexandria and Sons of Toil, like you sit down and you get a pint of beer and it's like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> like, why, why is everybody not screaming about this place and talking about how great it is? Um, it, it, it is top tier of what's happening in Cincinnati beer um, as far as the liquid goes. And um, that's hard to do considering some of the other places that are here in town. Um, so I, 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 I think it's, that. I think it's I underrated, mean, underappreciated, whatever you want to put. Um, well, I also think we have a lot of people that, expect I, I don't know how you put it like uh they have an ipa and and you know i i think it's kind of tough to fit certain things into certain categories for example we'll make a new england style ipa or a hazy style ipa whatever you want to call it and we don't use anything to stabilize the haze so eventually that haze is going to fall out so you might get it and it'll look like that pilsner that you're drinking right now because all the haze fell right and then it's well this isn't hazy enough and and haze doesn't contribute to the flavor of the beer period right. it just you know after one keg usually that haze is down and first couple beers that that we pour on the next couple kegs will have a lot of haze in it and then it'll be crystal clear um there are new products out that help stabilize that haze but i don't even know if it's worth it you know if, right. if you're you know well, cause that's an appearance thing it's not that's that's a that's a great conversation <laughs> uh let's before Sorry. we dive into that no because this beer has a lot um a lot to do with that conversation for me so let's uh let's let's drink a beer first beer talk about what, what we're drinking and then um we'll uh, uh we'll get to this this idea here so um pilsner so this is what is this called this is called stoles stoles it's um it's a kentucky proud pilsner so all the malt with the exception we used a little bit of carafoam in it just for head retention um I think I might, if I do it again, I might just add a little bit more to it because um, the foam kind of fades pretty quick. I mean, right. it does have nice lacing if, if you look at your glass or right. stir it up a little bit. But it, um, 
other than that, all the malt is produced in uh, Cynthiana, Kentucky, uh, malted there, and it's malt harvested or barley harvested in Kentucky. So it was, you know, we, we wanted to highlight the malt, so that's part of the reason it's a Pilsner. Um, we use uh, Northern Brewer is our, is our bittering hop, which is semi-flavorless in terms of, of bittering hops go, and then, then Hallertau in it, so right. it, it makes it more of a German style, but it does have that, like, hop bite to it that you kind of expect. Um, but what I... Uh, it's definitely a more modern take on uh, on a on a pilsner compared to some of the other stuff that I've had. As far as that, uh, uh, the hops are definitely there. Well, that that's it's surprising. It's not the hops; it's the malt. The malt, yeah. The malt's very grassy and green. Is kind of the flavor. I, I if you chew on it itself, um, just in the raw or not, it's malted. You know, so it's not really raw. But you know, before we we grind it and put it into beer. It, it's got a real grassy aroma to it. it. It almost mimics hops. Right. And I, I think, you know, it, it kind of pushes that by, it, it's definitely a Pilsner, you know, but it, it definitely does make it a little bit different than what you'd expect. Yeah, the, it finishes very, uh, uh, very earthy, grassy kind of like, yeah. it's, that is an interesting beer. Yeah. Um, it's good, right? I mean, it, it, it is good. Let's, I, I really dig it. This is what I'm drinking the most of anymore. Let's talk about Pilsner right. um, because the, it, it seems to be a little misunderstood in, in the craft beer world, or maybe on purpose or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, there there are several things that, that make up a Pilsner. Now, let's start with a name first. So Pilsner was a beer style that developed in, in, in Pilsen. Uh, yeah, the Pilsen region, yeah. So I once... In Germania. Uh, <laughs> before before Germany was Germany, it was Germania, and it was, you know, all that... It's Czechoslovakia now, right. but it was... It was... Different regions Germania. of... of, uh, of Germany. Uh, yeah. I mean, what is now modern Germany, I guess. So I once got in an argument on this show. Not really an argument. I was told that I was wrong uh, for thinking that certain styles could be made in the United States because of the region that they're associated with or whatever. Yeah. And I, one I, of one of my arguments was was Pilsner that if you know if, if you want to go down that road and say that you can't make in this case it was Lambic. And Lambic's <laughs> the big one that everybody argues. Uh, if you can't make a Lambic in the United States, then you shouldn't be able to make a Pilsner in the United States either. See I kind of feel like I, I, I feel like that's horseshit in general. And I don't mean it like what your argument I, I I agree with because if you're going to say it's one, well, why is one this way and, and like a Berliner Weiss? A Berliner Weiss should only be able to be made in Berliner, um, which is a small town outside of Berlin. Right. It's not actually made in Berlin, which is a common misconception with that beer too. But nerd, <coughs> sorry, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but but when you get when you get to like the origin of that, it, it it's well that became the style, right? So right. why does a lambic have to be? made in that very specific region and everything else can be called and, and there's a couple other beers like that I, I can't think specifically off the top of my head here but it, it's it's horseshit it's, it, it's you just see something it's you something see it a lot that, in the liquor industry and and like the wine industry and things like that where it's like oh this ingredient has to come from here to make this which which i i can kind of understand right but you know number one if you can get that ingredient and carry it somewhere else and use it there it shouldn't matter. <laughs> uh, it, it's also about standardizing terms, right? So if this is a Pilsner, 
this is a pilsner. Right. If you make it anywhere, it's using the same technique. It's same technique, it's, it's same a, process, same ingredients, the, the same same idea of what it is supposed to be right. should still be that thing. And, and that's kind of how I feel about Lambic, too. Now, the, the difference is, is like when you get to a creek or whatever, Crick, Creek, whatever. Yeah. I know people call it both. Uh, but Crick it's, is what it's, we call it here in Kentucky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's technically Creek. And, and when you get into that, it's the specific type of cherry used that you can't really get outside of Belgium. But you, but if you if you can, but, like if you get the, that cherry and yeah. you take it somewhere else and make it there, like it still is that same ingredient. Yeah, and, and then that's okay. But, you know, just putting cherries into it doesn't necessarily, right. in my mind, make it a Creek. Sure. Whereas, you know... If you got those cherries in the United States and put it into a lambic, then it's a creek in my mind. But, but you know, you can't call it a lambic in the United States. And, and it's really kind of more of a TTB definition than it is anything else. Because, and, and for those who don't know, that's the uh, Alcohol and Tobacco Federal Trade the and man. Taxation Bureau, right? So it, it's, it's, the TTB is Taxation and Trade Bureau is what we're talking about. Um and they fall under the ATF. It's a subdivision of the ATF that is actually now under control of the FDA, but is still considered part of the ATF. So <laughs> I guess after like 9-11 and, and the wars on terrorism and everything like that, that they decided the, the F and then they added E to it. So firearms and explosives are a lot more concerning that alcohol right. and tobacco. We should, we, should, so. we should not be wasting our time with this. We should have these guys just doing this <laughs> and these guys can work on that. Right. So, so they created their own little offshoot of it and, and whatever whatever it is now. But but it's a definition that they've created. It, it's not necessarily worldwide enforced and it's not like you're going to get the Belgian police over here if you call right. a beer a lambic and somehow it made it through because somebody was new at the TTB right. Rivertown. But um, I think they they snuck around it because they called it something. There was like another. There was a clarifier with it. There was something I've that got they one did. Of my, in my fridge still, I think, and it of the original. Yeah. When Randy, was I have a couple there, of them, yeah. and and it just says Lambic on yeah. it. No. it um, it's you know people might be more familiar with like a tequila or champagne things like that that you know you're not going to ever find an American made tequila because it just it's never going to get approved it's because right. you can't do that it has to come from a certain region in, in Mexico yeah. and champagne has to come from a certain region in France and I, the whole thing I think is it's all silly but going back to kind Sorry. of uh, we veered that's another <laughs> that's where I wanted to veer to uh, the the ingredients or the process or the style itself should mean something right um and you you talked a little bit about um a new england ipa or a hazy ipa maybe that haze falling out is that part of the style now even if it doesn't lend anything to it just because of the way it looks well and, and that's that's kind of that that's where you get into a real murky area i think in general with it because i mean nice pun the murky area <laughs> <laughs> i i i don't know i mean it, it's just yeah, I, I don't know. Because to me, with Pilsner, it is a part of the style. The, the style should be nice and brilliant and clear, which which this is. Yeah. If this was if this was hazy, it might taste great and it might uh, you know smell great and, and be a great beer. But I was like, eh, it's just it's falls a little short of being a Pilsner. Uh, a Pilsner is supposed to be one or at the most two malts, and the only reason you would ever add a second malt to it is is you know your first malt that you have, which in our case was malted locally it's it's you know it's a weird 
it's a weird malt, so we needed something. It, it, it had it, 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 all the numbers on it tested good, and I'm, I'm not trying to to say anything bad about that. But it was just I, I had concerns about foam, head retention, so I had a Carafoam, which is designed for that, and that's okay. And German. In Germany, to use in a pilsner. Right now, I'm calling this a German pilsner. I'm not calling it a Czech pilsner. Which now that is something that you and I have discussed off air about. Does a Czech pilsner even exist anymore? Because what are they? What's the? Uh, what are they called? Well, the the uh, you're talking about how the style guidelines have changed. Yeah. And yeah. But they, I don't. They know. have a. Um, uh, they have a Czech Czech premium lager, Czech light lager, Czech amber lager. And then Czech dark lager, I think, are the official yeah. BJCP styles now in in that thing. So. Yeah, but but that's just for so Pils- competition. Pilsner anyways, Urkel, though. which is the Czech Pilsner, kind of the I guess the the, uh, the standard of yeah. what what a Pilsner is supposed to be. Well, a, or a Czech was the st- Bohemian Pilsner. That's <laughs> sure, what sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that falls into the Czech premium lager is the category yeah. that, that would be. Yeah, because it, it and it, it it talks about. So in in a Czech style pilsner, a little bit of diacetyl is okay. You don't want it to be overwhelming, but it, it actually because of the the texture of diacetyl provides body to the beer. Um, it also has a much higher IBU. A Czech over a German, the German is a little bit lower, and the German tends to be a little right. bit sweeter for that reason too. Um, but you know, basically that they developed it in Czechoslovakia, and and I kind of feel like the Germans were the ones who really kind of perfected it. You know, in the Bavarian region, and that—that's kind of where that German style. I am not from. getting in the middle of that well, uh, centuries-old debate. Yeah, but but that—that's my opinion of it. Um, don't get me wrong; so, I love a good Czech pilsner. I mean, too. if we we want to get down that that nerdy road just a little bit, the history of of kind of how all this happened. Uh, Germany was making loggers. Uh, they kind of not kind of they started the 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 logger game. Yeah. I guess. But, but you got to remember, Czechoslovakia was part of Germany at the time too. But, but so. so I'm saying, okay, so we'll say you know Munich. Yeah. Uh, they they started the logger game, and uh, what is now. Czechoslovakia, they wanted that 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 beer. They were hearing about it. They people were raving about it, and they were just kind of making this other kind of weird uh, uh, hippie beer at the time. <laughs> that was just that was just kind of strange, and there was lots of weird ingredients thrown in there, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't as refined as the the German beer was the the, the Munich. Beer was. Yeah. Uh, so they they got a guy from from Munich to come. To, uh, to 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 pills and region, pil- to pills and reason to or whatever, and to um, to use this this new light malt that people had been playing with, because um, at that you know kind of previous to that, all of the the malt was literally roasted over a fire. It was it was dark. It was sometimes smoky. It was uh, it was just it was not what we expect now from from malt. Right. So, they, well, they didn't this, quite they, understand the whole process. They had this then. this new light malt that was that was something different, and they kind of combined that with the what was happening with the lager stuff in Germany, and the two together is what created um, Pilsner. Uh, then Germany took it and took it in a different direction and kind of, uh, as you would say, refined and perfected it. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the German engineering, like that term German engineering, it, it comes from brewing. That's why... Germans are considered such good engineers as they've been engineering the beer industry for, I mean, hundreds of yeah, years. Centuries. You know? centuries. Yeah. And, and then you get to, you know, there's other people that have been brewing for that long, but they have not been focusing the time and resources and 
energy on making things as perfect as the Germans have done. So that's right. kind of that's kind of why I say it's refined. It, I don't get me wrong. I like a Czech Pilsner too. I'm not trying to argue the two. I'm not huge on diacetyl, which is if if I catch a hint of it, it's not bad. But I'm not well, I'm not one that that really. And, and part of that, I I think, is just the sensory de- classes I, I've attended. Right. You know, and and I think that that's kind of ruined those those like finer notes of a Czech Pilsner for me because. I don't think that should be See, a I'm, period. I'm not very sensitive to diacetyl at all. So like yeah. I in any in, in most pilsners that I try, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pick it out even if it's there a little bit. Now sometimes I do and that's a whole different yeah, well, category that's, that's a of pilsner. But <laughs> but but so the, like the, the minor amount that is acceptable in a pilsner, I'm probably not gonna taste most of the time. And yeah. I, I I think that that <laughs> when we say that diacetyl is okay in a Czech Pilsner, it's not a lot. Like it's not. No, it's not, a very small. You're not threshold. really supposed to notice it unless somebody points it out to you, <laughs> unless or if or if you're somebody like you that that's all you're thinking about is all right. Let me tear this beer apart and figure yeah. out what's going on yeah. with it. And and I I think that that in some ways has ruined beer for me in general. You know, and and I don't I mean to. That. I don't mean to say that, but that's you know that's that's the. The truth of it is, is that, you know, and I love my beer most of the time, but, you know, I, I, I find flaws in every beer I make because I can't help it. I, I'm tearing everything apart all the time. I don't think that's a, especially from the perspective of a consumer looking at a brewery, like I, I expect the person making my beer to be pretty critical of their own, uh, their own beer that they're making. Like they should not always be happy with what it is there should always be some kind of room for improvement and that's you know i it's it's fascinating to me to think about uh some of those older beers that have been around for a really long time uh being well you know older being like you know sierra nevada pale ale or something and like as a as a brewer you know the guys that are making that beer today are not the guys that invented that beer they're not the guys that 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 popularized that beer they're not you know so it's a whole new crop of people several generations (laughs) crops of people like i i am so interested in the person that's standing there making that beer that then tastes it's like yep this is what that beer should be like and and that that uh that that mindset of like oh man but but if we did this like would this be better like yeah. i because to me that's part of what makes beer fun same as cooking like it's every time a dish or a beer comes out you should be able to be like oh this is this is great i enjoy this this is wonderful people are going to love this next time i'm going to do this yeah I, and I, I think that's a challenge for at least the the creative side or the the more creative brewers the people that are responsible for formula development and things like that um you know, I, I think that that is something that you, you have a hit product. You want to tweak it to make it better, but, you know, you already know it's a hit. And, and that's kind of where the issue is. Is the consumer going to like what you did? Yeah. And, and that's always the, the downside of it. So I think when you hit a certain point with, like, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, for example, it's out in the market. You want it to taste exactly the same every time because that's what the consumer inspects. Right. So, you know, it, it's tough to be... Like, like right now, I'm the only one in our production area, and it, it's really tough to kind of have that mindset of I've always need to be improving my beer, but you also know at the same time, this beer's selling, why, why would I improve it? And then you've got certain people that come in, especially like uh, the untapped people, the, the harshly critical untapped people, I should right. say, that because that, most of the untapped people are great people, you know, I shouldn't put a blanket statement out there but there are people there there are people that come in and they're just harsh on everything and well it doesn't taste the same as it tasted last time 
well, yeah, that's because we're we're trying to make it better, and, and you know, we try different things. And I don't want to say every time, but like our the regular domestic, which is going to be your first on that. Yeah, we should dive into um, that right while you're while you're talking about it. <laughs> sorry, um, that is something that I'm not going to change the formula. I mean, but you did you did tweak it from the first time you made it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I tweaked it from the second time I made it. This is the most recent, and I think it's it's the best that we've done. But it's oh, the yeah. second time I've done it. Oh, that's good. So a beer like this, um, talk about the difference between this and a, a Pilsner. It's, it's high adjunct. So mm-hmm. adjunct corn, meaning rice, corn. Well, both for us. Um, we kind of wanted to hit the Bud Light people and the Miller Light people. You know, that's kind of who we're hoping to please with it. See, and, and when you say it like that, it it makes me feel like I shouldn't enjoy a beer like this. We're like, oh, this is this is our response to because I, I mean I recognize that it is, but. Right. It just tastes better to me. Like it, it tastes, it tastes better than Bud Light or Miller Light or any of that stuff. And so, like, made I, with love, no, yeah. But like, <laughs> but as as a craft beer person, like, I can see somebody walking into a brewery and sitting down and seeing that beer, and it's a regular domestic beer. Okay, I'm not going to drink that. Like, I that's fine. That's don't. what I've been. No, but I want them to. I want them to try things like that. I want them to try. I want. I want them to understand that a domestic I even I hate the word domestic a uh, American adjunct a- lager, American light lager uh, is, yeah, is, like is the that's term. that's a style that we created here in the United States for good or for bad that's one of the four native styles <laughs> it's you know what are, what are the four so Kentucky Common Kentucky Common California steam, Common which is steam, steam. Uh, American light lager and cream ale uh, we didn't do malt liquors no that, that was the English <laughs> Did they call them malt liquors? I, I don't think so. I think it might be a term we've come up with, but I don't think I don't. Think so. um, but but it is a style that that is a native style to this country. It deserves some kind of respect that we haven't given it for a long time because of kind of the the people that were making it and well, popularized it. And I, I don't think we. It's not that we haven't given it respect because if you look at it, that was the best selling beer, still is the best selling beer in the country. I mean, that style, you, you, you know, we're craft nerds, so we've got 14% of the market share is what craft beer has, right. right? So think about that of the beer market. I'm not talking about the overall alcohol market, just the beer market right. is 14% is what, is what craft holds. So, and even that is a very loose uh, stat. It is. It is. Because you're throwing Yingling and uh, Sam Adams. and well, I, I consider Sam Adams craft. I don't really I do too, but I recognize, as much. I, I recognize that a lot but, of people don't, though. Yeah. But, uh, but so you you look at that market and that's the people that are that are judging you on on creating something like that where there's 86% of the or the 80, the other 86% of beer drinkers don't want anything that we offer don't like IPAs refuse to try them so you you do something like this and you're inviting somebody who normally wouldn't try a craft beer that actually enjoys it to maybe hey I'm going to venture into something else Right, you know, and that should be the mindset. But there's also something. There's a quality about it. There's consistency about it. There's the the difficulty to make a beer that clear. I mean, it it it's tough to do. Well, they, and, so and make it taste right. Kind of on so. this the same discussion. So Sonder uh, this week just released their test loggers. They're getting ready to do a new year round logger as part of their their portfolio. Okay. So they did two different ones. They're on top at the same time. You go and you vote on which one you like. Whichever wins is the one that's going to end up in cans. Yeah. And just so happens that the two that are 
competing against each other is a pilsner uh and a american adjunct light lager <laughs> and so side by side and and they, they finally released another episode of sonder stories their podcast this week and uh, Chase uh, was on there, and he's he's talking about uh, the difficulty of making the this one being the the light adjunct logger compared yeah. to a pilsner, and how much more difficult that is skill wise to do that versus this. I see. I I'll agree to disagree with him there because I, I think the pilsner is tougher to make. Personally, yeah, because it's it's a hundred percent barley, uh, corn and and rice on their own, and especially. And I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they have a cereal cooker. I don't. So I use flaked corn. I use flaked rice in mine. So that's already gelatinized, so I don't have to do anything to it. It's going to – the enzymes in the barley are right. going to eat that down and break that down into sugar for me too. So I don't have to do much with that. It just makes the mash real sticky, right? But other than that, I've got things that are, that are working for me by using that. So that's going to automatically lighten that beer and, and make it that color. Um, that, on the other hand, is nature's making it that color. And, and I do decoction with with our Pilsner, so that it's another level of pain in the ass that you can actually make it too dark right. if you over-decoct it or over-boil the, the decocted portion. Um, we're not going to explain We're decoction. not getting into that right now, no. <laughs> I think I, I think if you go to any other episode I've been on, just, it's probably in there somewhere. Just search for decoction on, on uh, the gnarlydome.com. Maybe you'll find something. I don't know. We, we do a partial decoction. If I remember, I'll put it in the show which notes. Is, <laughs> which is which is a lot easier than, than true decoction. Right. But that's what all the German breweries do now, too. I mean, it's true decoction doesn't exist in the way it did when they first figured it out. Um, but... You know, it, it, it adds a step to it, and, and, and it can add a step of screwing it up. Whereas right. the regular domestic, it's it's a single step infusion for me. It, it's easy enough. It's it's the flavor profile that's the toughest part, and everything can go wrong if things aren't cleaned right, um, hops aren't added at the right times, and I over or under cook it or boil it. Right. Um, that can mess it up. And and then we cut ours. We make it. It, it comes out of the. Well, with the potential to yield about 5.8 to 5.9 percent, and then we cut it with water to to bring which it back is down, which true, is standard, true for, to style. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't um, know if people realize that when they're uh, they going don't. and buying their Bud Light. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you cut it with water to, to get it lighter, um, and 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 we get it. That's how you get a consistent ABV too, though. I mean, there's there's a formula to figure that out, and that's right. that's what you do. You add water, and, and you get it where it needs to be. Uh, Pilsner, on the other hand, you know, it's the goal is to keep it where it's at, and it's only barley. There's there's nothing else in there to assist it, and if you miss target with it, you miss target with it. Um, then it's trying to figure out that problem. Um, so, you know, I I don't know, I don't know which I I, I personally, all my German lagers are tougher to make than than our American light lager and. and Strictly because I just cocked them. Right. I mean, that's that's the the reason behind it. But well, I, and uh, you know, I don't. I'll be curious to sit and talk to to Chase about his opinions on it, and and get him to kind of elaborate on what makes it difficult for them or not. Uh, I'm I'm fairly confident that they they. Deco- I I don't know if they would decoct their pilsner or not. Uh, I I feel like if anybody's going to besides you, they they would. <laughs> But I don't I, know. I, I've had a few of their loggers, and I don't think they do. But I 
you know, it's it's been a while since I've been out there too. It's probably been about a year. They are one of the the few places in town that have the capability to decoct. Well, there's, there's only a handful of places that even really can. I, I learned that Ryan guys did, and or he has the ability to do it. They don't do it, but they have right. the ability to, and that, that kind of surprised me. But it was just built into their brew house. Well, yeah, they've got. Like a what four? Is it a four? Like a even more than that vessel browcon? Is it a browcon? Yeah, it's a four vessel browcon. Is I think what they I mean. Did. It's they either had that or it's just a sprinkman. I can't remember. It's one or the other. I think it's browcon. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's a huge brew house. But they always, if you buy the browcon, they always build that yeah. that reversible pump in, so you can do a true decoction if you want to. Um. But any four vessel, you should be able to do it pretty same, fairly easily. Same goes for for Tafts. Like them, they have the capability to do it. I don't know that they ever. I, have. I'm going to say they don't. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to say pretty confidently that they don't. <laughs> I don't know. I love Tafts, but <laughs> I, I, I mean, the people that I know do it for sure are Braxton, Sam Adams, and us. Sure, and, uh, and Moreline. Yeah, yeah, Moreline too. I'm, I, I should have included. Well, Moreline Loggerhouse, absolutely. Yeah, Loggerhouse does for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the new brands because it's a ta- in Taft's contract and all that right now. I don't now. think we're supposed to say that, but yeah, oh. Taft's is currently contracting. How, but however, um, I will have new ownership from Moreline on the show in a few weeks, a couple weeks, depend- I don't without looking at the calendar and understanding when this is actually publishing versus when that show is getting recorded and then published. I don't know. It's In a matter of weeks, we'll have Moreline on the show to kind of talk about all of that a little bit. Um, and they posted on social media either today or yesterday a picture of a new batch of little king's bottles that had been delivered saying that it was it's coming soon not that that is decocted in any way shape or form well it's a, <laughs> but, it's a cream but it, it is be, but. it is a it is a sign that production is coming back to more line at some point and then it's only going to keep going from there they have from what i'm understanding full intention on eventually bringing all that production back under them and back in house and and into OTR and well a lot of what they were doing kind of before everything happened anyways though they were doing more IPAs and and, and ales than anything else and that's mm-hmm. that's commonly not decocted anyways I mean we're we're stupid because we decocked a half of ice and um I should say I am um but uh you know that that's I, I I'm a traditionalist in that way but it that's it doesn't need to happen in Hefeweizen. I mean, that yeast covers up any kind of good that decoction puts into it, you know? Sometimes sometimes it's not so. always about what you have to do versus what you want to do. And I think that that's a, that is definitely a part of the craft of craft beer and uh, the thing that makes it <laughs> different than than uh, other types of beer or even other industries, that, 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 that craft, that art of it all. And it's, it's do it the way you want to do it. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the way it's supposed to be yeah and and i'm not and anybody who just to be clear here anybody who doesn't decock their half of ice and i i don't judge them <laughs> on it, it's just it's, it's I'd, I'd even go as far to say and you may disagree with me here but i'd i'd say anybody who decides not to decoct anything you're you're probably i can i can i'll try it and yeah. it's you're probably okay <laughs> well i mean most of the time with with moderate with modern modified malts and I mean, you're going to get a flavor change in it for sure because you're caramelizing sugars when you do it. I mean, you're, you're right. boiling something that's not getting boiled any other time, right? You normally don't boil all your mash. You just boil the liquid from it, right. which is known as wort at that point, right? So um, 
So you are changing a flavor somewhere. But whether that change is, is a huge change or whether it's a small change it is kind of one of those things that's really tough to determine because if you've got a good beer going the way that you want it to go, why would you change anything right. on it? it it's Evan, Evan uh, Rouse from uh, Prax, and him and I have this conversation, well, we've had this conversation a handful of times of, you know, would the common person even know if we stopped decocting it and just did step infusion? But step infusion is something that there is benefits, especially when you're doing a lager, even though malts are well-modified, if you do a step infusion, you've got a, a better chance of making that lager taste more authentic, more like it was made the right. way it was supposed to be made versus, you know, I, I, I kind of tend to think that a single step infused lager has this. Um, what is, so explain single step infusion okay, as sorry. simply as possible. You hold it at one pretend, temperature the whole Pretend time. I'm an idiot. Okay. <laughs> So you, you, you come in, it, it's, it's very similar to homebrewing it in an extent. You know, it, it's the most common way people homebrew that go all grain. Um, you go in at one temperature, you hold it at that temperature, you start, you have your water set at what they call a strike, strike temperature. So higher than, than what your hold is going to be because when it hits the grain, it's going to cool it down some. I mean, it's not like ice cubes, but right. you know, it is your grains at room temperature and your your water is going to be at a higher temperature to get it down to right so common is anywhere between 148 and 154 fahrenheit and and you just hold it there for an hour um and that's called sacrification rest so you're getting a majority you're getting two types of enzyme activities at that which is alpha and beta amylase so breaking down starches into sugars but that's too technical, right, simple right, right. as possible. You're just holding at one temperature constantly, the whole mash, and then you just transfer your, your water over to your boil kettle, which is at that point called wort. And when you sparge, you sparge at a higher temperature right. and let that be what stops your, your starch conversion. Whereas step infusion, you start at, depending on what you want to do, it's usually a protein rest. Maybe you go to a beta amylase rest, and maybe you kind of go to this higher sacrification rest. Um, so each one of those are just different temperatures that you're yeah. holding the the whole mash, the whole mash. Okay, yeah. and then you could hit the other the other thing, and and it's something I do. So technically, all my even my if it's single step infused, I, I I'm really double infusing it gotcha. or, or doing a step infusion because I, I do bring it up to one sixty eight point three, which I know is kind of very specific, <laughs> but it it's one sixty eight is where barley enzymes become denatured and they don't work anymore okay so i'm stopping enzyme conversion i'm thinning out my wart for transfer over to my kettle and makes just the process faster right so but that's not that's not really considered a step infusion it, it's, i'm holding it at so like i've got a black ipa on here so that black ipa sat at probably 149 or 150 for an hour i raised it up to 168.3 and transferred it over gotcha Makes sense. It does. <laughs> it's extremely nerdy, but yeah. I get it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I, and I wish this episode was sponsored by Manscaped because that would have been a good time to talk about Manscaped with sack rests and things like that. But um, <laughs> this specific episode is not. However, go to manscaped.com, promo code GNOME. Uh, next next week will be sponsored again. I think I think I signed the contract yesterday, so I'll have to wait for it to go through. But. Oh. Jump in the game. Sack rest would have been really good. I need to find a way to bring that up next week <laughs> in the episode. Um, I mean, going back to the decoction versus not decoction, like yeah. uh, the 
two of my favorite loggers this year were the uh, the Pilsner from 50 West, which is in no way, shape, or form decocted and is fantastic. And then, obviously, the winner of the Oktoberfest quest was Badry. Oh, I forgot that's to not get de- you our Oktoberfest. decocted. Like, I yeah. mean, so, like, yeah. I, I even... They might. They got the ability to. I don't, I don't know. I, I doubt it is. Yeah, I, I doubt they would, too. I mean, just considering the size of their brew house, it's... But, like, I... Uh, do they have the ability? I, I'd imagine they would with that type, with that type of setup. Your pumps are usually reversible. You yeah. can you can route things anywhere you want them to go. So I mean, usually the the idea that I understand decoction and I understand the importance of it in uh, tradition and and all of that, and I appreciate it. But I really don't know. I I, I would love to try the same beer. Side by side, decocted and not. But nobody's going to nobody. Do it nobody it's, will it's ever. But it, it's, it's you're you're making the same beer unless you absolutely have the time and the tank space to do it, and you have a client base that that has the palate to notice right. the difference. Is it really worth it? And, and is it answer. worth it? Is a question. I mean, like so. I mean, the the client having the palate. I don't think it matters one way or another. You just. If nobody understands the difference, well, they used you'd, to, you'd, you'd just, have to have the demand for from that client base to do it. Is what I'm saying. So if I made the same beer and we had it on, and we called it like, what's it called A and what's it called B? Right. I'm I'm saying more from even go like just you know we'll use Braxton as the example. Yeah. If if someday they decide oh you know we we really need to explore if we if we need to be decocting right. this beer versus this beer or whatever. They could take one year and brew it both ways, and then just you know maybe maybe not necessarily put them on at the same time side by side on well, uh, I, I on think the draft that's board. Want to do though? I think you'd have to do that because you know you, there's other factors that play into the way beer tastes with you, right? Like you're, one, your of taste course. buds are always dying and, and regrowing, you know. So you've got that going for you. Um, but the other thing is, is, is you know, what what did you drink before? What did you right. eat before you got there? You know, if you if you want to do a true side by side comparison to have that work, you have to have them on at the same time. Well, you could, but you don't yeah. have to do it with your entire customer base, though. You could just pull off some and be like, all right, we need, yeah. you know, for for this group of people or this, you know, tasting panel or whatever it is, we need to try this beer yeah. side by side. Which you know, doesn't have to be like a take up two taps on your board and you know, yeah. uh, Oktoberfest well, A and Oktoberfest B. See, but but I don't know if I, I think that would be the only reason you do it in general is is maybe is to just say hey does this what is the customer it'd be a publicity thing you know yeah. why why would I don't know I think I, mean, I, I mean you're trying to save time but you're talking you know they're still going to run a step infusion which is still going to take time it's right. a little bit less but not. For them, not considerable. For me, that's that's step infusion and, and decoction are the same amount of time. The publicity side of it, though, like is almost more of a pain in the ass than it's it's worth because then you have to sit there and explain to every person that right. walks up to the bar what the hell decoction is. Right, and, and I think that's kind of why you would want you you'd have to have a knowledgeable customer base. And I'm not saying our customers are not knowledgeable here. It's just you know you have to have some serious brewing nerds to really appreciate that you did this that way and, and right. there's just not 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 there's many. not enough concentrated in one area to uh, yeah i would I, say justify that maybe if you're like out in pacific northwest or something like i don't that, even you think might be i able to pull it off i don't even know that out there would be i mean I, but i don't live out there so i can't speak for sure but i don't think that anybody's got that crazy of a customer base in 2022 to to 
to, to do something <laughs> like that or to, to really have it make sense. But I that's mean, what I want. That's what I want as the, the nerdy side of me because I... I know I'd have three customers that would appreciate it, and that'd be it. <laughs> I, would, I would come here specifically for it. <laughs> I can guarantee that. Um, let's drink another beer. What's, right. what's this one here? Uh, that's our regular West Coast IPA. Okay. Uh, Till the Battle's One is what it's called. So talk to me about uh, West Coast versus non-West Coast IPAs um, and the spectrum that well, that now... we actually call this a Midwest IPA because we kind of use those juicier hops that are associated it's, with... It's not super bitter. Yeah. And it, it, it's the juicier hop base. I mean, and, and I don't go heavy on, on the bitter in that either. It, I think at 68 IBUs, it, sound, it sounds right to me. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it's, you know, your, your traditional West Coast IPA is, is caramel malt in there to sweeten the beer up, to balance out the bitterness. But it's supposed to be a higher IBU beer. But it should be balanced. Yeah. It should be. <laughs> it should be balanced. I mean, there's, there's examples of some that aren't, but it should be a very balanced beer. Um, tends to be more of like a piney, grassy, resiny hop. That instead of instead of those, fruity those and American citrus, hops, those big kind of that yeah West they, Coast hops is yeah, what the I West consider Coast them. Not, well, th- that's the only reason why is because of a West Coast IPA. Mm, right. I mean, almost <laughs> all the hops are grown in the Pacific Northwest, so they're that's all true. kind of West that's Coast true. hops. <laughs> um, but it's got a, you know, it, what, what we do a little bit different with it is we use the juicier hops, like the the kind of newer ones like i know that there's a lot of simcoe in there there's citra in there um i think we put a little bit of eldorado in there which is it's traditionally associated with like a new england style or kind of more that way the right. juicier type pops um and we just call it a midwest because it's kind of the, the best of both but you know it does have a higher bitterness you just the caramel balances it out it's different so to me like let me ask you like yeah. as far as the uh sub styles of IPA yeah. like how many do you consider to be real styles and how many do you kind of uh, either either make here or uh, <laughs> acknowledge their existence I I don't know I mean you know I, I kind of look at it as for a long time we had two we had English and we had a West Coast IPA right um, I, I think Three Floyds kind of changed the game with Zombie Dust a little bit, and they called that a pale ale, which it, that's fucking horseshit. It's an IPA. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but I, I think they were kind of the ones that, like, they, I, if I remember right, and I could be mistaken here, but they were one of the first to get Citra Hops when they came out. Probably. And, and that's what they made with it. Um, and that one was kind of, I, I think, in in the history of it you know I, I think that that's kind of what got us to where we started making these east coast ipas now or, or hazy ipas or new england ipas or whatever you want to call that but then you got heady topper which is apparently the original one now other people argue yeah. that that you know another brewery was the first one to call it that heady topper just called it an ipa i would agree um, with that but i but heady topper to me was definitely the first one that was and, and popularized. If, you, if you ever read about that that was a mistake they actually wrote on the can so people didn't pour it they didn't want to see how hazy it was <laughs> right, because they, it, it still said, to this day says drink it out of the can yeah, yeah <laughs> it's designed to drink out of the can they did that because they didn't want people to know what it looked like when you poured it um, it was all a mistake. Everything about it, the High Crowls and Hops, which is an early hop edition, um, which is what's associated with New England IPAs. Um, all that kind of stuff was a mistake on their part. You know, they, they, 
if I remember right, the guy had it. They looked at their computer readout or their temperature readout of, of or the brewer's report of what that beer did that day. And it was like 148 instead of, you know, your higher temperatures where you normally want an IPA to be. And it was just a giant mistake that turned out good. And somebody accidentally dry hopped the wrong beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the amount of things that would have to fall into place for that to be a mistake is is kind of crazy you know the, yeah. the the hops that would have to go in there the uh even down to like the yeast don't they use a whole different type of yeast for that like isn't it yeah but but i don't i think that was intentional i, I think they were going for an english yeast because they were trying to do and, and i might be wrong there's a guy that that i went to siebel with that that lived in that neighborhood right. that's like a neighborhood brewery um, or it was the alchemist is. Yeah, I don't know that it and, is anymore. Yeah, he used to get cases shipped when we were in Sea Love Heavy Topper because you know back then that was what, 2015. That was kind of harder to get, harder to come by, right. and uh, it's still pretty hard to come by around here, really. Yeah. But um, he, he'd I, have his buddies send us cases, and he he would talk about them all the time, you know. And and it was some place that got him into craft beer. Three Floyd's did that for me, and and the alchemist did it for him, you know. Right. So it was kind of. I don't know. Mount Carmel did it for me. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the difference in generations. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say I shouldn't say that's not three Floyds isn't they're the ones who got me into brewing. Right. I got into beer going over to Germany. Sure, you know, that, sure, that's sure. kind of what, what changed me on that, but I mean, that's, you know, not to go down a whole different rabbit hole, but if anybody doesn't listen to Bruce Guy's Happy Hour, which is Brett Coleman Baker and Mike Muller's, uh, um, uh, their podcast about the, uh, uh, the, the history of craft beer, uh, they just finished up the first season talking about the 80s and some of those breweries that started in the 80s. And that seems like that was one half of everybody that started. You either were in the military and you started drinking beer over in Europe and came back home and, and were like this this is stupid yeah <laughs> we need something else and so then they started these breweries to make the beer that they were drinking there or you're just a hippie and you wanted to do something local and something kind of uh fresh and, and fun yeah and it was like this very split 50 50 of those are the two different types of people that go into brewing it's very different now where you have lots of different people but right. well homebrew maybe that's why this place is such a kind of not not that this is a throwback to to have you know the early days of craft beer but maybe that's why I think I resonate with this place so much is because it is kind of that uh, and not that all that you make are traditional styles, but it is a, it is a heavy focus here. Well, maybe that's it. I, I, I I don't know if I try to make beer true to style not as much traditional. I mean, you know, we do some other things that are way outside the box, like our Berliner. We add uh, lemon peels and uh, grains of, or seeds of paradise or whatever you want to call it, grains of paradise. Right. I think San, Jim Cook started calling it grains of paradise, but they're it's seeds of paradise or paradise seeds. Um, you know, we, we do stuff different like that, but then there's some things like loggers in particular that I, I feel need to be... And, and and I think that's just how you get them to taste right, you right. know. But that's that's what I associate the taste with is is a good German lager it has to taste like a German lager. I, I don't want it to taste like an American take on a German lager, um, because then are you really making? And that goes back to the initial yeah. argument: are we really making a German lager at that point? You know, like if it's a Dunkel, but it tastes like, you know, it was fermented at ale temperatures and turned around super quick. Is is that what I want out of? out of that beer is that what I'm as right. a consumer expecting out of that beer well, and that's, my and answer is always no there's, there's a whole side to that of like just 
call it what it is. Like I don't I don't care what anybody makes as far as beer goes. Right. Like I, I I will try it all. I'll probably enjoy most of it, but just let me know ahead of time what I'm walking into. If you make a pilsner, it should be a pilsner. If you make if you start with the idea of a pilsner and you put your own little spin on it and do some kind of thing to it that you think tastes better, that is your 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 spin on what you want that beer to be, great. Just tell me. Don't don't call it yeah, a pilsner call it anymore. An, call it an experimental or, lager. Or call put it. ninety other qu- qualifiers in front of it, and, yeah. and, and tell, like I don't care. Like just let me know when I'm walking into it. Yeah, yeah. I I think you know if you get a pilsner and you get it hazy, or you get a pilsner and you get it super hoppy, like like on uh, what, what's the new cold i a uh, cold, cold IPA. IPAs, yeah. You get one that tastes like that. That's not a pilsner anymore. You know that's the the. A Czech Pilsner, the character should be, front and center should be the malt, and then that Saz hop should be very close behind it. I mean, those two should be it. If if you're talking Czech, that's that's what you want in a Pilsner. I think think hops should sit just a little bit ahead of the malt, personally. Well, I, I think the bitterness, maybe. I, I don't think in the flavor though. I, I, I a Czech style. I, I it think should, you want it should really to me both both Czech and uh, German pilsners. I think that it you should be able to sit at a table with four people and have an argument about what thing jumps out the most to you. Like it yeah. should be that well balanced and that that close to each other that it, different perceptions can kind of make you lean into either one uh, or any one. Like I'd, I'd even say you know water profile in some pilsners yeah. is a big part of it uh, is that's, the flavor. That's, well that's you know you're supposed to it, it, that's kind of it's kind of a weird thing you bring that up because ours is i think we're over on calcium but other than that we're pretty close to fills and region water right in alexandria which figure that one out <laughs> I, I can't um our, our calcium's way higher though and, and we don't reduce that down um but i think i just have to add well, we got a 15 barrel uh, HLT, and I think I had like a teaspoon of baking soda well, to it. If, if I'm going for like a, a pilsner or whatever, with some styles, that is the thing that makes the, the difference. You know, maybe yeah. you know, like a, a Dortmunder, and then you know, like a. I know back when uh, Verge was on the show and they were talking about their uh, their Burton ale that they're going to make. Like I, I assume water plays. The, probably the biggest factor in some of those beers and what makes them what they are. Yeah, I mean, especially if you get it to English beer, it's all softer water. I mean, that's that's kind of what makes... That's the other thing about that New England style is that you soften right. water. We soften the heck out of the water for that um, when we do one of those. Whereas, you know, most of our other... And it's kind of weird, too, because it's how the water interacts with the hops. So if you get a... You know, the harder your water is, the more bitter your beer is going to be in terms of what what the alpha acids do to your right. beer um if if you go which which seems kind of weird because you know technically it's acid and acid softening it so i don't know it's 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 it's, it's just a weird chemistry thing that if, if you go harder water you're going to get you're actually playing with the bitterness in the malt though too um which normally doesn't come out or it's not a factor in softer water so but you get into roasted malt, that's got a lot of bitterness in. And if you do roasted malt on, with a hard water, you get a lot of bitterness just from that roasted malt. And see, now I want to try to the same beer with different water profiles. <laughs> we need so you know how you can go down to Asheville and hang out at White Labs, yeah, and get and different beers with different uh, yeast strains. Same and beer, same, but same beer, different, different, different yeast. Different yeast. Yeah. I want that with every ingredient. Like I, I really 
want to try different things. And, like, there's just no way to do that. You know when I mean, the uh, smash beers became, like, a popular thing? They would yeah. do just a single malt and a single hop, and you could kind of start to understand what hops you liked. Yeah. And maybe if you really paid attention what kind of malts you liked. Um, I, I, I want that with every ingredient in beer. Like, I really want to be able to deconstruct beers and, and, and pick things out, and yeah. it's so hard to do sometimes. Uh, that's one. That McKellar's. Did, did a huge series with every different type of these new hops that were coming out at the time. They did a Sim... That's, I fell in love with Simcoe because of their Simcoe right. smash beer. Um, but it was all the same beer with a different hop. It's just... Unless you have the production capacity, right. you have the mark, you have the shelf space, you have... You have to have so many factors in play to make something like that work. Um, and for us, it would be like... You know that that would ruin our concept here because we want right. somebody we want something for everybody and we want some of the stuff that just kind of screams you know crazy or extreme for what what it is you know and and I think that example is, is your next two but but you know we um we w- we want to have traditional beer for people who just want to come in and have a traditional beer but we also want to have something that sets us apart right. that makes it you know something that's like what the hell is this and and we have. Don't have it on right now, but we did a key lime basil beer, and it smelled like a they call it a caprese <laughs> salad in here. I mean, it just was the day I brewed it's that. It was very Fibonacci of you. <laughs> it was, and and it had it had um, so key lime basil, and then it had grapefruit rinds, lime rind, or or peels, or whatever you want to call it, or zest. Um, we called it infinite zest, but it, it had. Grapefruit, lime, lemon. Um, hit one other weird. How that? How that go over here? It actually it sold better than we thought it would. It, right. It's by far the most divisive beer I've ever made. I mean, you there was nobody that said I can just have a glass of this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it was I love it or I hate it. <laughs> I'm not finishing this yeah. or I need more. <laughs> it's, it's it was people got to you know we we always asked with that one if people wanted to taste before they they bought it because it just right. it was so polarizing but right. then there were some people like oh yeah and then they drink six of them while they're up here and then we <laughs> we had people that would just <laughs> the face that they'd make i mean brad's one of them brad, brad my uh, my business partner he he was like this is not going to go good at all and and surprisingly i mean we were almost I don't want to say we're almost out of it, but we we're we're low on it. We just had some other new beer that we had timelines that right. we had to release it, that we pulled it temporarily, and we'll bring it back when when one of those beers is finished. You it's know? beers like that, and, and and not to not to stereotype people in Alexandria, but you know, like it's it's one of those beers that uh, you don't expect to go over very well, and so yeah. it's always really interesting when when places like this do something like that. Maybe, maybe in the same way that some of the other nerdy things that I'm talking about, maybe, maybe you do throw a beer that is two of the same beer with different ingredients on tap, and then maybe it would surprise you how many people get nerdy about it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm not gonna lie; it's something that we have considered. We actually talked about. We did um, the first time we did, the second time we did Big Sis when we had to dump it. Was that the second time? First time was that yeah, the it was copper, the second time copper pilsner. Yeah, yeah. We invented a style. Um, <laughs> but again, going back to that, that, I'm okay with that. If you tell me what it is before I order it, if you just called it a Pilsner, I would have been pissed off. <laughs> but. Uh, but the uh, the second one, it you know, we, we got something. We have a faulty tank, and, and since then I've, I've learned how to really 
deal with it. Right. Um, but back then, you know, it, it was we couldn't figure out what was going on, and and it ruined that beer. Um, so we dumped it, and at the same time, I made a blonde ale, exactly the same, but with ale yeast. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think maybe there was five pounds of caramel malt in it where where big says had none in it but other than that it was damn near the same beer and that's what we wound up releasing with big says that year right. anyways um and and i think that would have been kind of cool to try that that was would my idea behind it was to have those two together and didn't work out that way but hey right. <laughs> um but i i just wanted the people to know the difference between like an ale and a lager that they can look identical and taste completely different well, yeah, people don't uh, people don't understand how much um, yeast plays into what it is that they're yeah. they're drinking. It just seems like it's that thing that you put in there that makes alcohol, and that's it. Yeah, but there is so much that that it, that it plays into flavors and texture and all kinds of stuff that uh, um, not just the alcohol. Yeah, I kind of I don't know. I I get I get a little upset at at craft breweries in general when they all just use one or two yeah, strains the same of kind of the house yeah. yeast and that's all they use and they don't they don't and i shouldn't say i get upset because it, it's i understand it it's a cost thing you know it, it's a lot cheaper to do it that way to have one standard yeah, it would also be cheaper just to make two. the same beer yeah like but, there's got to be a line that everybody has to draw of of how far you want to push it yeah and I think that you can go past using just one kind of yeast for everything. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Personally. I mean, we we personally, I think my yeast order is one of the craziest orders because we're, you know, we we get stuff from Omega and we use White Labs and the, those are the two. Um, but it's it's all over the place. You know, California Ale, which is WLP zero zero one for home brewers out there. That's the most common right. yeast I use here. Um, it's, it's in almost every one of our ales, with the exception of our IPAs. It, We've switched to that, to that quack yeast. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It was probably the most common yeast that you would find in craft breweries yeah. in general yeah. until that new Quebec, Quebec, whatever. That's it. So I got corrected on it. I was calling it Quebec, and, and I got corrected. It's quack. I mean that makes makes sense, I guess, but it's, it's I still feel they say it is a dub, the feel ridiculous saying it like that. W, yeah, <clears throat> but, but I I do think that that is now becoming one of the more popular yeast strains you'll try. Places uh, we we use Hothead here. It's not it's not a lager yeast for the record. Yeah, it tastes it, different. Well, it, if you go with the Voss, that that is that's the one that a lot of people are using for lagers, and I I kind of think that that's cheating too but uh, i think there's a difference there is there there's, is there's a few places that i haven't asked if that's what they're using but i suspect <laughs> that um, they are but we use that we use the hothead because it actually does put out like some stone fruit right. flavors to it um but our ipa turnaround I, I think we took 10 days off fermentation so why why wouldn't we do that you right. know right um you know you've got a, the problem with an ipa is is the hops when you dry hop an ipa you've got to wait for all that crap to fall out unless you're filtering and even if you're filtering, you still have this possibility of, of a hop. I call it a hop burn. It kind of gets in the back of your throat is what it feels like, but it's just too much hop in it. Yeah, uh, It's when too much of the vegetable material is not in there, so you have to give it some time to settle down and, and all fall out. Well, I don't even know that it's necessarily f falling out sometimes with that hop burn. Like I've, There's been beers that I've had that uh, even in a can, like you, when you get it fresh, and then it has a little bit of that hot burn, but then if yeah. you let it sit for a while, and even if you 
swirl it and dump it like it, it that, that hot burn goes away after like there's something that mellows out with it yeah i, I don't i don't is is a home brewer i never had that issue you know oh. and it, and it was kind of <laughs> it was kind of weird for me when i when we got here is just when i when you know we sample almost every day of every beer so it, it was kind of weird to me that it was like okay well this is really burning the back of my throat. Yeah, it's, it's like, like, a, it's like, like a, a hot sauce. Like a weird up. astringency yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, so you got to give it time to, to work its way out. And and when you get into a hazy IPA, I always feel like it takes a little bit longer to work its way out yeah. because you want to keep that haze so you're doing it at a warmer temperature. You know, normally we cold crash at like 32 degrees. But you don't want all that haze to fall out. Right, like, so yeah. we cold crash at 40 with that, and, and then you've got to sit there and be a lot, little bit more patient with it to keep the haze and, and retain the flavor also retain the flavor too right. but you know again we're not but that haze is eventually going to fall anyways because that's what cold does it, it makes it makes things fall to the bottom right um now again there's there's new products out there that that keep that from happening and and i'm on the fence about whether or not i'm going to use it but yeah it i mean it, that Going back to the the, the traditional side of yeah. of what you enjoy about this whole process, I could see that struggle. But um, well, it's not just that too, though. It's it's you want to make a beer to style. You want to make people happy. You want it to be visually pleasing, and and that's what people expect with a hazy IPA is a hazy beer. So you're not taking anything away from that beer when the haze is gone. I actually I think I saw Brett Coleman Baker write a tweet about it and started a debate on Twitter about whether or not it's still considered a hazy IPA if all the haze fell out during fermentation, right? And, uh, you know, I, I don't think the hazy, but it's still considered New England, right? You still have the water profile that, or the... I don't know. The palate, that, it all stays the same. No, I, I do know it, it stays the same. No, no, but I, but I don't know that it still fits that style yeah. anymore. But, but you know, if you brewed it as one and it looked like one when you put it in the keg, and now it doesn't. I, I don't know what. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't. I don't. If you if you I mean it wouldn't happen. But if you made a stout and you put it in a keg and it looked like a stout, and then when everybody poured it, it came out a different color. It wouldn't be a stout anymore. <laughs> right, but <laughs> but that that's, that that can't happen. You know? No, but I'm saying, but like there is, even if it tasted the same, like color plays into it appearance yeah appearance does play into a style it does it 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 absolutely does so that's kind of this this question with new england's is is that as important as the overall beer is it as important that's the qualifier there no of course not well but but that's what it kind of comes down to right because it's it's okay well then what do you say like well i made a new england ipa and we put it on our board as a new england ipa but two weeks later we're calling it just an IPA because the I, haze fell out. I, I think you, I, I think you should. Like, I think you should call it something else if there's no haze, because people do expect something out of that style. If I if yeah. I go get a, a hefeweizen, you're not I, you're not wrong. And I sit and I'm looking at that beer and I'm holding it up to the sun and it's not cloudy and it's not no it's but, not then it's not right. But I'll tell you something weird. It might be is, great. Is hefeweizen right. actually clears up less. Now our hefeweizen eventually does clear up too. Right. But it takes the IPA clears up so much quicker than the hefeweizen does, and I think it's because it's two different types of suspension. Because you're you've got right. yeast suspended with the hefeweizen, along with the protein, whereas in a New England IPA, it's just protein. It's supposed to just be protein suspended. Um, I do know there's a couple breweries that use uh, 
a chemical called Tanel A, which was designed by Weist or Weist or whatever you want to call right. it, um, that was designed specifically for Hevavisins to maintain or to stop flocculation of yeast, which is yeast falling out in cold temperatures. Right. And yeast, when it falls, it takes everything with it because it's bigger than the the particles of protein in there. Right. It, 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 bring, it brings everything down with it. Um, so... I don't know. But uh, is it possible for a beer to change its style over time, I guess, is the big question. But that, I don't <laughs> think it should. I, I think it's whatever it starts out as is what it is. And then... So, like, but like that, there's kind of a joke about uh, some big IPAs that if you throw them in your cellar and then crack them open a couple years later, it's a barley wine. I, well, I... I'll tell you, a good example of that is Behemoth by Three Floyds. They make, and that they market as a barley wine, but if you get drink it fresh, it tastes like a double IPA. Right. Um, uh, Dogfish had 120 minutes, another one that's, that's yeah. marketed as an IPA, but you hold on to it for a couple of years, and it's definitely a barley wine. Um, you know, but that's that's kind of the thing about those those West Coast ones, too, is they're designed to kind of take that, that test of time and, and morph where the New England's are not. Right. It just turns so. into a style that isn't a style yet. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah. Uh, let's drink another beer. We're like, yeah. Way well, over. You know, not way over, but we're over. Sorry. Right. It's the internet. All right. Uh, I'm guessing this is the black IPA. Yes. Um, uh, well, going a cascading back, and dark ale, Going back to those different sides of IPA, of, of how many styles of IPA are there, and uh, is this really an IPA well, or is it something else? So I always consider the first one, and, and again, this is me probably liking Three Floyds a little too much, but the Alpha Class that they release every year at Christmas is the one that I consider we've, like the first. We've had this conversation idea. because to me it's that stone, uh, the... Well, the 13th anniversary. Yeah, the yeah, subliminally, yeah, subliminally self-righteous, whatever. Yeah. But that was out after... But to me that's yeah, the first because it was the, the first, first one, one I had. <laughs> yeah, but they actually called it a black IPA too, where Three Floyds Did was, they? Yeah. Did they originally? Yeah, they did. Okay. Where Three Floyds said, this is a Christmas porter. <laughs> <laughs> we we don't know what this is. Yeah. <laughs> It, but it was so good. The first, I'm like, what the hell is this? So that I'm like, this is like an IPA and a stout hit a baby, you know. And that that's what I liked about it. So that's kind of what I I, I kind of like following like a a porter or Baltic porter route with a black IPA instead of going like, well, we're going to start with an IPA and then add dark malt to it. Does yeah, that make like sense? I get, I think I think for me in my head when I think of them, I think of a hoppy porter versus a a dark IPA right. personally, but um, that may also be because of the flavors that I, I lean into more and that I, uh, that, that stand out to me, uh, not <laughs> the flavors that maybe like I, uh, I identify heavier with, <laughs> if that makes sense. Well, like I, I love the, the, the malt profile of a beer like this and how the hops kind of screw with it a little bit yeah. and poke at it. Like yeah. I like that. Versus the other way around. Um, there's uh, some people I, I know from, from Siebel that went over to Domen's, which is the Germany side of Siebel. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not getting into why I didn't go over there right now because I think it's on other shows. But um, they went over and they made a black IPA, but they used this um, German, basically German food coloring, but it's malt-based, so they're allowed to use it in <laughs> beer. Weird. It's called, uh, I think it's called Cinemar. Se seminar or something like that it, it's 
it's a malt-based darkening thing. And, and, you know, the Germans use it if they missed the color. Like, if it was supposed to be slightly darker, they can right. add a little bit of it to make it darker. But it won't affect flavor, It right? doesn't. Yeah, it's, it's flavorless in beer. Now, if you smell it, you will not believe it's flavorless because it's got an odor to it. Right. But it goes, the smell goes away. There's nothing to it. So they basically made a West Coast IPA and used that to make it a black IPA, and, and they won a competition. So it, it probably didn't taste like a black IPA, No, though. it tasted like an IPA. That would be interesting. Yeah. But it was like uh, like a Golden Stout kind of yeah. plays that, that mind game with you. It was kind of the same thing with, with that, I, I'm assuming. I didn't have any of it because I wasn't in Germany, but they got... There's a competition where, like, the whole staff of that building or at Domans, they vote. But a Golden Stout is really, really tough to, to get. Because they're, they're always... They're never really... <laughs> As bright as as the they're not golden. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can, you can't or, or white stouts, whatever you want to call them. But right. but I also think that it's it's really tough to mimic the the astringency, and and I don't mean it in a bad way, but the astringency of black malt. Right. I mean, you're using co- whole coffee beans to try to get that, so you're putting coffee into it, um, which just tastes like coffee. It doesn't taste like black malt. You know, right. there's a certain thing with black malt that you get. People are and people use like a cocoa nibs or something that gives you kind of some yeah. of that bite too. That. Yeah, and we do that with 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 ones that we've made too, which you know those are few and far between, honestly. But um, it's a fun style. But like you, when somebody puts it in front of you, you kind of already know what you're in for. Just looking at it, it just yeah. looks a little murky and a little bit darker than than a, a typical beer does. But the idea of being able to take a a black beer like this that didn't have any of that, yeah. Uh, uh, that 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 darker kind of roasty flavor, but then taste like a West Coast IPA would be fun. Yeah, that um, I I was curious how it did, but I also know the cost of cinema. It just it makes it cost prohibitive <laughs> to, to even think about doing it on a large scale right. because, I mean, we had to get it one year for our Oktoberfest. It just it just was too light of a color. Well, in a a large scale, in in your uh your scale is also very different you than will, large I'm, scale compared to. If you put I mean, all of these breweries at, into at my, at my scale, we'll say at my scale, which is I'm small. I mean, it's just your cost per pint goes way up with something like right. that. Um, you know, it, it, it's probably more expensive than putting fruit in your beer, and fruit's expensive. Right. I mean, I'm sure Brett Coleman Baker can tell you all about that. I'm too. sure he has a lot to say about that <laughs> in um, the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's a. Uh, you know that, that's that's something you you have to take into account when you're when you're a production brewery and you're not just a home brewer, you know, too, and you're not just doing it because, you know, it's an educational thing that these guys were doing in, in, in Domans, for example. It's something where you're, you know, you have to you have to think about that stuff. Is 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 are you going to offend your customer when you take an IPA that comes in at four and a half or five? I, I'm making up an, a percentage here, but right. your regular IPA, six percent, we'll say. Six percent IPA comes in, and you're charging eight or nine dollars for it because of the cost you spent on it to just turn it black. Right? <laughs> is that? But is that really worth it? But we like. I think that we also need those places that try things like that and do things like that just to just to do it and just to try and to see what it tastes like and to see what it looks like and yeah. to see the response and 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 I, and I agree and I think that there's there are businesses that can I you know and, and not. Uh, I know Goose Island's kind of a sore subject. It is for me, especially because that used to yeah. be one of my favorite breweries. Um, but you know, they have a one-barrel pilot system that 
Anheuser-Busch spent a million dollars developing and making it function identically to the way that their giant brew house functions, right? So right. It's, it's, it's supposed to function. Everything's supposed to taste the same. It, it's steam jacketed in, in one barrel. So that's, that's the type of people that can absolutely afford to do that and right. release it at their tap room. Um, Revolution would probably be a good example because they're a, they're a huge production area. They they never would do it, but they've got a seven barrel or, or ten barrel at their at their tap room. Right. So, yeah, Braxton would be one that could possibly do it. You know, at, at, at Barrel House, yeah, Sam, Sam Adams, Adams could. but but you know, your Sam Adams probably could. Um, but you know, there there are also other things involved with that too, like you know. If Revolution were to do it or Goose Island were to do it, it, it probably would get drank. You know what I mean? Sure. It, if, if you do it in, it's a regional thing too. So you do it in Cincinnati. I mean, I, I absolutely love that beer. We don't move it. Black IPAs don't move in See, Cincinnati. I was, I was just thinking like, man, I, would, like, I really enjoy that beer. I, I think that I would order that beer over a New England hazy IPA definitely any day. I would probably order that over the west coast ipa (laughs) any day (laughs) like it's like that's where it kind of sits on on my spectrum as far as but but quote unquote ipas it doesn't sell right and and that's i mean i'm gonna say we've you know we won an award for it um this summer so that kind of helped it and it and it We've had people come in here because we won that award for it. It was, was that uh, uh, the U.S. Open. U.S. Open, yeah. yeah. That we took a bronze, but go to thegnarlygnome.com slash awards. I think will take you to all of the local brewery awards. But I, I don't. Um, you know, it, it was one that we were hesitant in entering, anyways, because they don't. That's not a category anymore. Right. Black IPA isn't a category. It's like it specialty IPA or specialty something. IPA. So you know, who knows what else we competed against, and and we're just entering a. A black IPA or Cascadian dark. Actually, it was American dark ale is what it, I think we put it under. That's hard when you're going on to the competition side. Like it's hard being a judge of a competition if you have a style or a category like that that is very different types of beers coming up against each other. Like, yeah. how do you figure that out? Like, how do you decide? Okay, uh, this black IPA, yeah, this is better than this uh, fruited IPA or whatever. Whatever I don't know what other but, specialty well, things not, it would be. They're Coffee not doing IPA. it side by side. They've got like a score sheet that they're writing numbers on the whole sure. time, right? So this is where this fits in terms of flavor. But I, I think you're right. I mean, how do you go from, you know, you just tasted something with a ton of coffee in it, and now you've got to taste something that's, you know, not. Yeah. That, that's different. And, and, and now your palate's constantly changing, and how, how are you giving that a fair evaluation in a category like that? And I, I always wonder... I always wonder that in general, it's, you know. It's really hard to score something when you're not comparing it against something else right. just in general. Right. Like you have to have something in your head of this is what it's supposed to be or this is what it's so it's 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 going for. Right. Here's how I score it. So like it's it's hard when you have two different styles, two different types of beers that you're trying to score <coughs> on some kind of same scale. Like it's 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 difficult to do. Yeah. I, probably shouldn't be done is what I, what I might say. Yeah, I, I, yeah I, but, you know, it, it is, we had a black IPA when we opened that we called Sessions in Black, and it, it was probably our most requested beer to bring back. But the, the thing about that beer and, and people who know about it, who, who came here and drank it, know that it was a complete mistake. I mean, everything, our, our brew house blew like 10 fuses that night. 
um, it, I had to leave it sit in the boil kettle overnight um, at a at a warmer temperature, but it might have got some lacto in there because it, it just sat in the tank overnight because we ran out of fuses. I had to, I had to drive down to Win Electric first thing in the morning, buy more fuses. Anytime we kicked on our uh, top jacket, there's three jackets in our boil kettle. Anytime we kicked it on, it would blow a fuse. So I had to boil it with two jackets, which was more of a simmer than it was a boil. <laughs> so I boiled it longer than it should have been boiled. Um, and, and it didn't boil enough water out of it. So it was supposed to be that beer that you just drank. That's that's the original version of it. Right. But it finished at 4.5% <laughs> instead of... <laughs> Instead of whatever that one's at, so it um it just never it never was right, and and to recreate that and try to make that beer again, I I, I don't would, know. If it I would could. never really be the same thing, but right. maybe maybe you could make something that people like. Oh yeah, I remember this. I loved this. <laughs> it would still kind of fit that thing for them. Uh, a good friend of mine that helped me plumb a lot of the glycol in here. Uh, he drank like a gallon of glycol that night. He, he kept turning this wheel off, uh, off a valve we got there. It's a pressure reducing valve and he didn't think it'd pop off. He thought it would, you know, cause almost every valve in the world is something to think about it. Like is, uh, your, 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 um, valve for your garden hose, right? It's that same type of valve. He's just turning and turning thinking it's eventually thing pops off. It just starts spraying in his face. <laughs> he goes up with a five-gallon bucket to try to stop it, but it's spraying at like 40 PSI. I'm brewing at the same time. I have to shut my tanks like as, as we're doing it to try to keep glycol from going into the beer. I mean, just a number of things that went wrong that night. And, and then we had to reload the, the glycol chiller with... It, it, it kept faulting out because it ran... You know, it was running low on glycol because of how much he lost. So that whole fermentation, the temperatures were just varying. I mean, it's just everything that went into it. it you, you couldn't ever really yeah, replicate yeah. it. <laughs> so we, we, you know, I, I I don't think it was a fair, personally, I never thought it was a fair representation of the beer I wanted it to be. So right. that's why we made this. And, and we made it for all the people that were asking for it to come back. Um, we'll probably do, you do it have, again. Do you have people complaining that this isn't what they... No, they the people who wanted it love it. Are happy with it. Yeah, they love it. They're that's, just happy. That's kind of what I'm really like, yeah. Um, what's this last one? Okay, so this is Go Hop Yourself Cosmic Punch. So we Ooh. took we took um, Go Hop Yourself when we brewed it this year for Go Hop Yourself Fest, which is our annual release of it. Uh, those who don't know, it's like a 12% honey uh, IPA. Um, I call it a double IPA. Some people call it a triple or quadruple IPA. I, I think it's just a double IPA. Anyways. Um, Holy crap, that's good. Yeah. So so we put it in um, We put it in our little pilot tank, which I'm pointing to over there, but it's a one-barrel pilot tank. Uh, I, I diverted one barrel into that and used um, finalized yeast by Omega called Cosmic Punch. So, Holy crap. Yeah. Like, that's good. Yeah, it's, it turned out. Fantastic! I, I couldn't have been happier with it. Um, but maybe it's that that name, but I do get like a crazy like fruit punchy thing going on with that. That's, well, it's what it's the thinyl. So I don't really, know if you really know what thinyl is or not. Uh, I mean, or, or I've, not I've, I've, I've seen the name, and like, I I just always kind of gloss over when people try to explain it to me. The easiest way is it's essential oil. It's an hops. That's that's the best way to think about it. I mean, it, it's more you, than that. You took a hop and you just kept squeezing it really. Hard. But it's more in grapes, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, it's a it's a flavor compound though, and and I'm not getting into the details of it. I, I just if you call it an essential oil, people understand it a little bit better, and, and that it's really a flavor compound. But um, 
yeast produces it, but not a lot. Or I, I, sorry, not yeast. Hops have it in it. And what they did is they used CRISPR. Omega yeast used CRISPR, and they went in and made it so the yeast produces right. it. So as long as there's thionyl detected, so you use a hop that has thionyl in it, it'll produce a lot of it. But like I've I've tried some of the other um, thionyl experiments that people have done around yeah. town, and I don't think I've ever tried something that tasted anything like that. Well, I I don't that's, know a hundred percent, but it's got um. We use orange blossom honey in it too, and I'm wondering if there's thionyl in there that that the bees extract it's from flowers. Emphasizing or something that, that too, like that. yeah, yeah, it, that's it, that is wild. Like yeah. that's good. It's that that I mean, I wouldn't like I just trying this I, again. Going back to styles, yeah. I think that if I was trying a bunch of you know uh, imperial IPAs or triple IPAs, this would probably not win because yeah. it, it's so far off from what I expect yeah. it to be. Yeah, and that, that's always but, the issue with go hop yourself in general. But if you put if you put a bunch on tap and I tried a bunch of tasters and stuff like this would be the one that I would want to drink because that is, that is really good. Thank you. I mean, it's also been sitting here on the flight board for an hour. So it's, it's warmed up a little bit, which sometimes with triple IPAs or big IPAs like it, that doesn't go well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sometimes this, it can get light struck. I mean, just that window there. could cause This it is, it this is, this is amazing right now. This is really good. Well, thank you. Um, um, it's like 150 IBUs, which is insane, but the honey balances that out yeah. too. So, you don't really taste the the bitterness of it, which that's one argument I always have with IBUs. Anyways, as a theoretical calculation, how much can you actually? Yeah, and and it's not a it's not a fair assessment of a beer. So if you're if you're putting IBUs on something, is is it? People have kind of stopped doing that. Yeah, like it, it was kind of like somebody away. flipped a switch and people all of a sudden just kind of gave up on it. Like I still hear people ask every once in a while. Yeah, every once. Well, how many IBUs is that? And somebody makes up a number. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, but it, it's. <laughs> It's weird because it's, you're right, it is a term that's kind of going away, and I'm kind of glad about that, too, yeah. because, you know, if you say it's a 100 IBU beer, automatically everybody's going to say that's bitter as can be, and, and that's 150, and it doesn't right. taste bitter at all because no. we put honey in it to balance it out. It, it's a balancing act. Yeah. So you get that high IBU, you can get rid of it pretty quick, but it's still considered that IBU because it's yeah. a theoretical calculation. You had to do. I was like, when I went down to uh, Sierra Nevada, might have been the last time I was down there, down in Asheville, they had a beer on tap that was zero IBUs. And that was kind of their their joke with it was yeah. that it was a zero IBU beer. Uh, but it was an IPA, uh, super bitter. Uh, they added like some kind of uh, citrus peel or something too to even yeah. kind of up that bitter. Like it was just, it was a super, super bitter. Like it wasn't even that great, but it was just super bitter as a joke of the zero IBU, IBU thing. Yeah. Anything, yeah. Yeah. Which again, kind of goes back to that same conversation of people doing things just to do them, just yeah. to, to play around with an idea or to try something just to, to see if it's possible or to kind of give people to educate people still, I guess maybe yeah. and, and like, it's funny to think that Sierra Nevada is still putting out beers to keep pushing people's perception of what they're drinking and kind of keep, keep well, growing craft beer. And I, I think they're kind of one that that kind of gets what, short end of the stick, we'll say, short end of the stick on, on that kind of stuff too because they're first. And, you know, they, they've got their sellers that go to the market, but nobody ever considers what they release in, in California or in, in Asheville yeah. that, that really sets it apart. Or some of their bottle, their bombers that they put out or their, their champagne bottles that they put out. Yeah. Um, like the barrel aged Bigfoots and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. it's, it's holy crap! They're doing. They're still making great beer. Do they ship beer? Do you know? I, I don't think so. They might. I don't know. 
Um, Keep talking. I'm going to look while we... Okay. But uh, that's the kind of stuff that it's just, you know, they are still creative. They are still... Sam Adams is the same way. I mean, you go down to their their tap room in Cincinnati and, oh, yeah. and it's it's completely different than what you can go on your store and, and what you've gotten used to and made a custom from the Sam Adams versus what, the, what they're putting out in that tap room, you know? They do ship. You can order Sierra Nevada and have it delivered here in Ohio. Nice. Well, or, I guess we're not in Ohio. I wonder if they can uh, do it no. in Kentucky. Yeah, oh, yep. Kentucky, yep. You Kentucky, guys are on the list. You can do it. You're on the list. Nice. <laughs> a lot of people aren't paying. It's a higher, much higher tax to do it Is in it? Kentucky. If you're, out, if you're out of state. In state, it's not that expensive. But if you're out of state. So does Urban ship, ship here? Do you know? Urban distributes here. I don't know if they ship here. You can go to the store and buy urban, though. No, but I mean, they, their shipping side of what they do is a big part of their business now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I know. I remember a tweet, an angry tweet from Brad about <laughs> the state of Kentucky, <laughs> but I can't, I can't about about the shipping policy. But I don't know if they decided to do it or not. Um, it actually came they into do. play right at the beginning, and, and it was something that. It was just a happy if you, circumstance. So they, they put it as like a different, um, uh, so they're shipping, this is urban, not, not Sierra Nevada. If you order over, this is for Ohio and Kentucky, if you order over $115, there's free shipping. If you order between 60 and 114.99, it's $10 flat rate, under 60 carrier rate. So like that's, that's not bad. No. Carrier rate can be expensive. No, but I mean that's that's so just order order more beer. Yeah, like just order a yeah. big order of beer when you order. No, that that's not bad at all. I mean, especially because you know if we're going back to cost bases here. I mean, they they're spending a lot Alaska. of money on their beer, so their beer's not not the cheapest beer, and and it's it's for good reason. I mean, I understand exactly why. But you get to their rarer stuff. They're, I don't know. My favorite beer that they ever did, and and, and Brett, I hope I hope you hear me here, is that barrel age quad. That sat on, on wild yeast. Yeah, I, I, I love that beer. They've had a lot of really like uh, every time. So I still have some of the uh, phrenology, the uh, the the Brett IPA uh, that yeah. they did. Uh, I still have a bunch of that sitting in my cellar, and every time I crack open a bottle, I'm like, oh my god, this just gets better yeah. and better and better, and they don't make it anymore. I, I you can, if you live in Nome, Alaska, you can order Urban Artifact beer and get it delivered to your doorstep. So if you're in Nome and you no, stumble no across Malaysia. the gnarly Nome. That is only carrier rate, though. I don't know what that would cost. but it, Not cheap. Well, it's I mean, still crazy, though, that it, you can. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. It's the world we live in now. Um, yeah. yeah. That's, we're, we're over time already, so. All right. Uh, what, what do you want people to know? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you what. We, we're... Right now, we don't have a food partner, and it's kind of been hurting oh, us. That was on so, my list. So I, I can't give too many details yet because nothing, nothing's finalized. But if the people that we're, that we're in negotiations with right now work out, um, we're going to have some really good food in here. Uh, they do homemade. They, they grind all their own brats, do that all themselves. Uh, they do a ghost pepper, a habanero, a jalapeno, and cheese. Um, a regular beer brat uh, and two or three other kinds. Um, they also do an Italian beef. And I, I lived in Chicago for a minute and it's on par with Al's Italian beef, which if you've ever been to Chicago and you've had an Italian beef, you know what I'm talking about. And, and Al's is the top. Right. Um, it's on par with that. Um, they do uh, a pulled, two types of pulled pork, um, cheese curds, uh, beer beer battered cheese curds um 
they had uh, fried okra, and I'm not usually a fan of okra, and I loved it. They put this, um, I, I think they might have to work on a name for their seasoning, but they call it crack. <laughs> and and, uh, and it is, it's fantastic. They put it on their wings, too, and their wings were really good. Everything they did, they, they did a free sample night up here one night, and, and it just blew everybody away. So I'm hoping, I got my fingers crossed that everything works out. We can come to negotiations with them and, and get them in here. You guys, um, you guys have had a little bit of difficulties with some food partners. Well, you know, our first one, I would, I want to call it a difficulty. It was a good partnership um, for Mile Pig. They, uh, they just, you know, he wanted to grow outside and of. They're up at um, that uh, RJ Cinema now. Yeah, yeah, they, and they just opened a third location, and I think they're working on a fourth location too. Um, he wanted to grow. He wanted to drive through, and and we couldn't provide him with that. Um, I absolutely understand. It was it was too small of a kitchen for what he had going on, and and you know he smokes meat too, so that's a lot of stuff out back that was yeah. kind of in the way. Um, and and you know if he wanted to bring that operation inside and get it undercovered, he, it wouldn't work here. Uh, so that's what he did down the road. I say problems with food partners, not that your food partners were problems, uh, but that then comes part two. <laughs> but that it's you've had some difficulties. And keeping a food partner long term, which we've we've heard that story over and over yeah. and over again from different places. Yeah, it's you know, and and and, and I, I wish I had the wherewithal to take it on ourselves. We just would you like if 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 you were starting from the ground up today, would you? No, we bought all the equipment from the last person. I mean, we can do it right now if we wanted to. It's just. I don't understand the food industry enough to, to dive into it. My business partner doesn't understand the food right. industry to dive into it. So it's hiring somebody to run that. And, and ultimately what we would want out of it is just us breaking even on the food. You know, we, we don't want it to be a to loss, but to give people something to eat. And that, that allows us to go really high quality on our food. Right. But, but the problem with that is, is that you have to have a staff around it. There, there's a lot more, there's certifications required in Kentucky. Um, you know, you don't have to have it right off the bat, but you have to get it within a year of opening. Um, th- there's a lot more to it than just, okay, we're serving food now, right. you know? Um, and, and getting there is, uh, something I don't know if we're ready to take on just, just because there's somebody that can do it better, right. you know? Um, <laughs> it's just finding somebody you, you you can trust and rely on, and I mean it, it like that that idea to like, and I, I I have trouble working with people in general. Yeah. So like that idea of like bringing somebody into your business and letting their business uh, reflect on you, like it, uh, that idea just terrifies me so much. It, 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 and you know, we thought with the last partner that you know they started out really strong. Everything that they made was fantastic. The problem is, is that. It, it it's a labor shortage that's still kind of going sure. on right now. You know, they, they couldn't keep good help um, and they had to settle for okay help. And that okay help wound up being poor, shitty substitute for right. the original people that were cooking for them. And then it was, okay, well, how are we going to improve it now? We've already put a bad taste. In, and once you ruin somebody's taste on you, they're not, they don't want to give you a second chance. Right. Uh, so it takes a lot for the, for us to turn somebody around. Now, with that said, even with the the problems that they had, they, they turned it around at the end. They brought in a good staff. They, they were making good food at the end, and a lot of people did come back around, but it was kind of too little, too late. Yeah. He, he wound up having to close, 
I believe all three of his locations. Oof. Um, I, I know, and, and I don't know how much of this I really should yeah, we get into. We won't but, say who they were, and but, people can figure it out. But you know, it, it's he was a great guy. You know, I, 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 he was just a victim of circumstance when it when it happened. You well, know, there's he, there's a lot of people in that same boat right yeah, now of kind yeah. of trying to uh, coming out of the last couple of years like. A, there's a lot of people that feel like we're out of all of that. And, yeah. and maybe health-wise we are, but maybe. I'm not going to start that argument. Don't send me an email. Uh, but, like, uh, uh, the waves of what that means for other people's businesses is not even close to uh, to being done. Right. Well, it, it's it's help is the biggest issue right now because a lot of people realize that, hey, I, I can work from home. Yeah. Um, and, and there's a lot of... <sighs> Time and family and freedom mean a lot. That are well, there's a lot of you know, food industries usually. No, but I mean, like I, I fell into that too. Yeah, like I, that was the same. I mean, it was kind of in my head before that, but like, uh, COVID and and like that, like all, it kind of pushed me into that. Like it kind of was like, oh, you know what? Like to hell with this. Like what am I doing? Well, I guess I guess what I'm trying to get at is the food industry has always had a higher turnaround, right? It's, it's always been an industry that has a high turnaround and it's because people jump ship to go to a place for more money. Yeah, but they, like go the more, to a, they go to another food place. Yeah. That's not happening no, anymore. No, it, it is, but it, it's weird. <laughs> They're going the way, somewhere else. The way that it's happening is, is that at least that I've kind of been told is the, the places that we're known for like, I don't want to say crappy food, but I always consider it crappy food. Like your, your Applebee's, your TGI Fridays, that kind of stuff. You know, those, those big chains, a lot of them, because of the amount that they're paying right now, none of these small restaurants can afford to keep up with that. You know, you get, you get a cook that maybe before COVID was making $40,000 a year. And, and that's, that's a decent living for a cook. And now they're getting paid like 80 to go work at TGI Fridays, you know? Right. I mean, and that's extremes there. I, I'm sure it's not always 80 or whatever, but but it is this thing where these big corporation-type companies are, are paying. And, and my biggest concern with it is is that they're going to hit a point where they've closed their competition down, kind of like what Anheuser-Busch did in, in the 70s and 80s. They're going to close their competition down and then go back to paying their employees peanuts again. Right. You know, so... You're taking you're taking a lot of good cooks away, and and I've heard people say they've had problems even at like rubies and things like that. You yeah. know, with, with service and, and and quality of food versus what you normally expect. And you now he's not a small business, but he but he is a small business in the grand scheme of things when you compare it to Applebee's or, or Fridays. Sure. Or, or I'm trying to think of another big chain like that. Uh, what's the big one that's Ruby Ruth Chris. Tuesday? Ruth Chris. That's <laughs> oh, they, they're kind of gone out of business. But Ruth Chris is Steakhouse, right? So that that's probably yeah. a big competition with him. But that's national chain. Yeah, he can, and I'm sure it's a conglomerate owning like several other companies, like Outback Steakhouse maybe. or something. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know either. I, I really don't. But I'm just saying it's it's they have the power to go in and steal these employees away from from Ruby and hurt his reputation sure. building their own and then okay we're done you guys go back to being paid peanuts we're, or, yeah. or we'll fire you you know or that because hey we can bring somebody else in yeah who cares now uh, our competition's gone there's there's a, a whole line of of thought we could go down with that about beer I, and uh, the yeah. industry <laughs> <laughs> where, I'm sorry, man. No, no, where it's, you know, like, it, are we getting to that point with craft beer where some of that can start to happen 
with this industry too. Well, it, I, I kind of have the feeling you, it, you're in a different kind of bubble with what I, you do I here, am. but I am. I, I, I do have a feeling it is going on. I mean, I, I know, I know some of the bigger guys in town have struggled yeah. getting people, sure. and, and they've 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 hired people that they normally wouldn't. I'm not getting into any names, <laughs> but I, I I've had conversations that they they right. hired people that there's no way in hell they would have hired them on a normal day it's just they needed a body right and it is somebody that was going to show up to work and whether they're going to screw it up or not at least they're there yeah and hopefully you, you feel like you can kind of keep an eye on it and make sure they don't screw up yeah <laughs> hopefully uh, uh we're, we're ending on a very dark topic here but so. yeah we are well and uh like i said we're over we're over time so we'll wrap it up um if you guys haven't been here come down to alexandria uh, like I said, maybe maybe not underrated, but underappreciated. Um, there, what's happening here is something that uh, I think uh, puts a very big stamp on what Cincinnati's beer scene is and what Cincinnati's beer scene should be. So I appreciate what you guys do here. Hey, thank you. Uh, thank come, you. Come down here. Just get on twenty seven and go south. <laughs> <laughs> Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. <laughs>